Chapter Four of Oscar Wilde: The Story of an Unhappy Friendship by Robert Sherard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In the sequence and during the six weeks which preceded my departure for London, my whole time almost was spent in his company. It was for me a new and joyous life, an unending feast of the soul, and each day my admiration for my new friend grew more enthusiastic. By nature, heredity and environment disposed to melancholy, viewing mankind and life as Calvin may have viewed them, this joyous Celt showed me the gladness of things, suggested the possibility of great and buoyant happiness in the world, and with his exuberant vitality scattered the black butterflies that enclouded my spiritual vision. It was perhaps because we were altogether so dissimilar that we were from the very first so attracted one to the other and i may say that he professed for me the same friendship and in some degree also the same admiration that i most truly felt for him yet i made as little attempt to conceal my faults to tone down the asperities of my individuality in his presence as though in reputation gifts and qualities we had been altogether equal nor did i ever flatter him in his views and tendencies where these were divergent from mine it was this quality, perhaps, that attracted him to me. I remember saying to him one day, Your faults and your weaknesses are so apparent that it would almost be more profitable to be your enemy than your friend. It would be so easy to attack you, and could be done to such good purpose. Today, when I think of him as he always was, I wonder what can have been the foibles which suggested that remark to me for I cannot recall a single point in his character which could inspire or foster enmity, and when catastrophe came upon him, what most of all astounded me was the volume of the base rancour that in so many breasts, lying upgathered, then burst forth upon him. For I cannot conceive that he excited jealousy. His superiority was so evident that rivalry could not surely raise its head on his path, and the success he won as contrasted with what, by his part, he might have achieved, was such as to inspire condolence rather than envy. Yet jealousy of the most mean and petty order can alone have prompted the bitter hate that, when the statue fell, blazed up from beneath its feet. I am speaking, of course, of those who had known him, who had pretended friendship for him, and to whom his aberration had been no secret. In considering him, even in his most prosperous days, mediocrity could console itself with the thought that, had he chosen to exert himself, there was, for a man of his presence, physique, fecundity and brain, nothing in the field of honour and rewards to which he might not have aspired. Yet he satisfied himself with that mere gloire de salon of which Balzac speaks, and, like Balzac himself, harassed through life by debt, he never had the fill of his desires. I could have become anything, he said once to me, when we were speaking of his ambition, and he added, but have I not chosen the better part? I know that when I first met him, his ambition was a very lofty one. Although he never defined it to me, he once described its amplitude. We were speaking of a whilom friend of his, who had thought fit to turn upon him, because he feared that the ridicule which Oscar Wilde's extravagances in the sunflower days excited amongst those who did not understand his motives, might extend to him as his friend, and injure his prospects in life with a statesman who was his patron. What he says, 
said oscar wilde referring to the letter in which his friend closed their relationship is like a poor little linnet's cry by the roadside along which my immeasurable ambition is sweeping forward i used to feel that he would achieve wonderful things and when i felt world-weary and tired of life would say to myself that life was worth waiting out if only to see him realise his splendid destiny well might unexplainable laughter shake my frame at the moment when i saw him first the man who was afterwards branded as a corrupter of youth exerted on me as a young man an influence altogether beneficial if he had taught me nothing but the great value and happiness of life i should still owe him an unpayable debt for my disposition tended to that tedium vitae which makes existence pure misery in which connection i recall that telling him that the idea of suicide often haunted me he answered suicide is the greatest compliment that one can pay to society a suggestion which should stir even the most despondent individualism into resistance i repeated his own words to him at a time when he spoke to me of suicide as the only possible issue from a terrible fate impending but i am certain that he never needed any stimulus to courage the example of his purity of life in such a city as paris of his absolute decency of language of his conversation in which never an improper suggestion intruded the loftier ideals that he pursued the elegance and refinement which endowed him would have compelled even the most perverse and dissolute to some restraint the companionship of oscar wilde in the days in which i lived in his intimacy would have made a gentleman at least outwardly of a man of bad morals and unclean tongue but his friendship did more than this it taught one what friendship ought to mean a friendship which going beyond the purse is ready to lay down reputation itself on more than one occasion had he so sacrificed himself for friends who afterwards turned upon him and i remember a dramatic story which he told me of how he had saved a famous draughtsman since dead from penal servitude at the risk of the same to himself he was good-heartedness embodied his money was his friend's money he had no heed of it he would exert himself for a friend in a way which had the exertion been for himself would have appalled his idleness he would find publishers for unknown poets and managers for aspiring playwrights even when he was called upon to stand the risks himself not a few contemptible faces rise up before me as i write of men who so helped by him were the first to deny him a week after we had first met he spent a whole day walking and driving about paris to find a rare little book delvaux's life of gerard de nerval which he wished me to read literary men in england he said often talk about gerard de nerval but nobody really knows anything about him he has become a classic you see and classics are what everybody talks about but nobody reads with this little book you will be able to write an article which will be welcomed and which may help your reputation and though just that day his purse was nearly empty he paid the high price that was asked for this little book when he found it for we interested ourselves in gerard de nerval and the children of sorrow who like him trod the paths of letters to a very evil goal chatterton poe and baudelaire 
and i do not think that a day passed on which we did not speak and long of these unhappy poets the very horror of their fates seemed to heighten for us the splendour of their genius to call for our greater admiration and enthusiasm we walked about paris one night trying to trace the tragic footsteps of gerard de naval that hopeless lover of the queen of sheba on his way to old lanthorn street where one early morning he was found hanging from the iron railing of an evil house we were glad when we found the inn the sign at least if not the actual house where this dainty aristocrat in letters used to drink deep with the outcasts of the Alleux. and i felt that oscar wilde was sincere in the interest which he professed for a story most pitiful among the many pitiful stories of the accursed race of poets i think that if our sympathy was so strongly enlisted it was because each of us felt a wonder mixed with fear whether like gerard de nerval our sightless souls might not stray to some red hell like his and as we walked along oscar wilde repeated the poet's lines où sont nos amoureux elles sont au tombeau dans un séjour plus beau elles sont plus héros elles sont près des anges au fond du ciel bleu où elle chante les louanges de la mère de dieu the radiant dandy upon whom people looked back as he passed was hastening to no course festival it was a poet on a pilgrimage to a ragged poet's place of death and on his lips was the poet's elegy the story of baudelaire's life enthralled us even as his poetry enchanted i owe it altogether to oscar wilde that i became familiar with the most wonderful verse which was written in france in the nineteenth century and though with ill-masked insincerity he professed to prefer in les fleurs de mal the horrid realisms of the carcasse and the murderer's wine he taught me to admire with some degree of his own enthusiasm the organ swell of la musique the stately sweep of the unknown woman in deep mourning to love also diana in gallant equipage the maladive interest which he showed in baudelaire's slow self-destruction on which an end waited far more appalling than gerard de nerval's short struggle in the strangling rope may have proceeded from his inwit of tendencies with him which might lead him to the same end that at least was spared to him and us yet his imitativeness one of the marked traits in his character prompted him at least to dally with the poisons that crushed baudelaire into an inert voiceless if sentient mass and as he had borrowed from balzac his monkish cowl from victor hugo the form of his paper so from baudelaire he took absinthe and if he did not take hashish also it was because he could procure it nowhere but here his refinement saved him it was not in his nature to yield to excess and having played with poisons he cast them aside i have spoken of the insincerity of his admiration for la charogne was he altogether insincere there was at that time living in paris the poet maurice rollinat who in those days was laying hands upon his perishable body and his immortal soul much in the same way as baudelaire did whose acknowledged pupil in poetry he was it was drugs drugs with him morning and night drugs for food and drugs for sleep cerebral excitement all the time the result as we saw it was a terrible one and we could fancy the nerve-wreck of charles baudelaire before the bow snapped from the ravaged picture before us 
to the possible joy of the angels and to the certain gain of france this exquisite poet and musician maurice rollinat only went so far and no further he checked himself ere it was too late and fled to the remotest countryside and flung himself a shattered and diseased man at the feet of nature our kindly mother that she might help him to undo what poison had done and nature was good to him for after some years of silence we could rejoice in the resurrection of the lost soul paris resounded with the echoes of his muse the joy that oscar wilde took in the ravaged personality of the poet who at that time seemed to be tottering like a man on a tightrope between lunacy on one side and death on the other seemed to me sincere and mingled with admiration rather than pity he invited him to dinner at the hotel voltaire and entertained him royally and after dinner prayed of him to recite certain of his verses rollinat gave us his terrible ballad of tropman a gruesome and terrifying poem to which the nervous excitement of its author as he repeated it with wild gestures lent additional horror it was a very revel of the morbid poe would have crossed the ocean to be present oscar wilde expressed a supreme satisfaction on me that evening produced a feeling of deep melancholy i passed a sleepless night and I wondered whether my friend had not felt, in Rollinat's presence, and at the aspect of his state, a prompting to say a word, to hold out a hand, to offer help. From a man of his presence, with the authority of his reputation and position, an attempt at interference would not have been resented, and might have helped. His silence, nay his approval, before a spectacle of self-destruction, which to my Calvinistic conscience seemed the sin which can never be pardoned, were in my mind when, next day, as we were crossing the Pont des Arts, I asked him, If you saw a man throw himself into the river here, would you go after him? I should consider it an act of gross impertinence to do so, he said. His suicide would be a perfectly thought-out act the definite result of a scientific process with which i should have no right whatever to interfere end of chapter 4